Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who prefers to look like a rich daddy. Well, definitely not a poor daddy. That's for sure. I am Lee Adam Glass, and I don't know. I I prefer not to look like a daddy at all, but... It's too late for that, man. Uh, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> I, used to, I used to subscribe to one of those clothing delivery services that are advertised on other podcasts. Yeah. Frequently, what they sent me did not look make me look like a, a dad, rich or poor, necessarily, but did always make me look like a cop. Just khakis <laughs> and short sleeve, uh, short sleeve uh, polo shirts, uh, wrap around sunglasses. No, they never actually sent me wrap around sunglasses, but they obviously should have. That was the look they were trying right, to get right, me to right. have. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Bonus content? Boy, howdy. Do a uh, non-Criterion film over there. And every month, you get to vote on what movie that's going to be. I put together a list uh, basically on whatever whim I'm feeling. Often, it's based on a movie we watched recently or... Uh, some movie news in the world or some uh, some new list of movies I've discovered. <laughs> um, we've uh, like when Criterion Channel put out their Afro Afrofuturism uh, collection. Right, right, we yeah. did a list for that. It's not always um, a bad list. Sometimes it's a good list like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's a good list. Yeah, that was a I really loved. Yeah, no, I, it was a good list. I loved that episode. I loved everything on there. Uh, I'm just saying we've also picked a terrible nightmare list before, so you know. Oh yeah, yeah. We've also we've also picked terrible movies. Uh, you know, when Disney when Disney Plus launched, we did uh, well, children's yeah. wish fulfillment films on on Disney Plus. Uh, we ended up watching uh, oh, what's it? Blank check out of that list, I think, uh, which was the only one without a genie. Uh, though the blank check functions as the magical alien who can make you run super fast so that other kids don't make fun of you or whatever you know that that sort of thing always exists in all of those movies one dollar gets you that vote uh gets you access to the entire back catalog of those there's uh, 56 of them up right now uh like i said we do one a month except for december december our bonus episode our non-criterion bonus episode is our holiday episode that goes out to everybody on the main podcast but for people who support us, you know, you get, you also get our ear, which is interesting. You know, is there any movie you want us to watch that you really think we should watch? Become a supporter. Not only can you suggest the movie, I'll put it on the list. If it wins, I'll try to get you on the episode because we love talking to people about movies they love. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, For a little extra... $5 a month for folks who can afford it and want to help keep us going a little bit more. We like to thank those people by name on air. Thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, and Eric Coronado. Thank you. A little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. 
Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies that we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month, mail that off with a little personalized note. We also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to our $10 and above supporters, Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yako, Nina Bajnak, and Jason Westhaver. Thank you to you as well. If you want to see those postcards without committing to the $10 mark, or if you want to buy past postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion there, and they should come up. However, if you want them first, and you want that personalized note, you're going to have to go to patreon.com slash lostincriterion. But if you want We're to use grateful. them as wedding invitations, go to Redbubble. Right, right, right. If you, if you do want to use them for wedding invitations, you should go to Redbubble. And and you can get them as greeting cards, so you can absolutely use them as wedding invitations. Uh, <laughs> please use them as I, wedding I, invitations. I you, please do it. Absolutely. I would love that so much. Oh. Thank you to everyone who's bought stuff from the Redbubble, to everyone who uh, is supporting us through the Patreon, and thank you so much to everyone who's listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, Pat, this week we are getting our second Wim Wenders film. Just uh, just not very long ago, we watched Wings of Desire. A movie uh, I his... fucking adore. I absolutely love that oh, yeah. movie so, absolutely. so much. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, that came out in 1987. This one is a couple years before that, 1984's Paris, Texas. Uh, and also, like Wings of Desire, uh, American character actor shows up who... <laughs> yeah, no, it's one... I, uh, this is, I hope... We've only watched two Wim Wenders films, but like, I hope this is a running theme forever. With Wings of Desire, it was Peter Falk, and always a delight to see Peter Falk, and also always a delight to see Harry Dean Stanton, who is the star of this one. Uh, interestingly, with Harry Dean Stanton, uh, he had never had a starring role before. He's always been you know, a supporting actor. Oh. Uh, Wim Wenders says, according to one of the bonus features, Harry Dean Stanton had never had to memorize more than two lines of dialogue in a row before. That's amazing. Uh, and on on top of the issues of just that... This movie was not finished when they started production. They had not finished writing it. And the monologue scene that he has uh, was not written until two days before. Jeez. Okay. When, when screenwriter Sam Shepard dictated it over the phone to Wim Wenders, who then handed it off to Stanton and Natasha Kinski, who ran those lines all night. Uh, and I... I would love to be able to tell you that Stanton then did it in one take, but that is no, not true. No. But here's what I will say is that probably running those lines all night put them in exactly the right level of like energy and oh yeah, emotional Absolutely. content Absolutely. that they need to be in. Just two very right. tired looking people talking to some glass. Right, 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 right. Right, right. Oh, I love that scene. So phenomenal. I'm sure we'll talk more about the the visuals of that scene in a moment. Oh, yeah. But uh the other person to mention here uh, is Dean Stockwell is also in this yes. movie, uh, who is uh, someone that I'm sure Pat and I oh, yeah. have uh, a long association with only Quantum Leap. I really, uh, well, a few other things, but yes, only, mainly Quantum Leap. I really, right. like, I was like, just please throw me a bone, put him in an aluminum foil suit, just a little bit. <laughs> no aluminum foil suit here. Uh, interesting aspect of Dean Stockwell being in this movie, he was in a career slump, and he had actually just gotten his realtor's license. He was going <laughs> awesome. to become a real estate agent, 
when he got cast in this and getting cast in this sort of turned his career around for a bit. You know, of, of course, he had Quantum Leap, a, a, a television series he was on for many years. Uh, but also after this, he was in uh, uh, he was in Beverly Hills Cop 2. He was in Blue Velvet right after this, the David Lynch film. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, he just sort of had a had a bit of a career renaissance. Um, after almost giving up right before, right oh. before he did this movie, which is very interesting too. Um, yeah. The kid in this movie, just a weird coincidence. The kid in this movie, Hunter Carson, who is screenwriter Kit Carson's son. Um, I just saw a movie with him. His second movie is a movie called Invaders from Mars. It's a remake of a 1950s movie. Uh, and I watched it on my on my bad movie night on Sunday. Uh, just very, was not expecting it. Like, usually on the bad movie night, I get distracted and start looking up everyone's career because they're very bad movies right. uh, that do not hold my interest. Um, and, uh, yeah, was just very, very surprised to learn that the kid I was watching, who is not, he is not a good actor in that movie, uh, found out that I'd be seeing him the next day when I watched Paris, Texas. Uh, and he is actually, he's very good in this movie. I think he's a phenomenal for a child actor in this movie. But yeah, uh, also in this movie, Natasha Kinski, who uh, got her start in a Wim Wenders film that we'll eventually watch. We will watch more Wim Wenders films moving forward. Uh, this is only our second one after Wings of Desire, which was fairly recent. Um, Wenders is part of what's essentially the German new wave, which sort of got its start in the late 60s, I think. Um, there was a manifesto that was signed when Wenders was only 17 years old. Right. <laughs> but uh, but it is kind of surprising that it's taken us this long to get to Wenders. It is weird, uh, right? Like, you know... Considering how much Wenders we will eventually have watched at the end of this po- podcast. Yeah, it's it's strange uh, that they... That, I don't know. The Criterion Collection is a baffling thing, just in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I can't imagine these movies were that hard to get the rights to. <laughs> Maybe they were. Maybe they were. Yeah, I mean, totally. It's definitely possible. But like, if we assume that... I feel like in recent years we've assumed that's the defining criteria for the Criterion Collection is like, can we get the rights to it? Um, right, right, right. I feel like some of Wim Wenders' stuff should not be that hard to get. Yeah. Yeah, well, we will ultimately watch, uh, I think, nine of his movies. Um, there's a box set of road movies which apparently this is not one of the road movies in. I mean, there's not, uh, I mean, there's roads in it, but it's not a, it's not explicitly a travel movie the way it seems like some of the right. other ones are. Like, Wim Winder seems to have, based on the interviews, an obsession with travel and, like, motion. Yeah. But this is, in this situation, the motion and the travel is very purposeful. It very much carries the characters from place to place and is basically just functional. Whereas it seems like the other ones right. are about traveling. Yeah. There is there is a bonus feature on this one called The Road to Paris, Texas. Yes. That, I that 
seems like it should be a bonus feature to a box set containing all four of those films. I agree completely, <laughs> it, because it, it yeah. definitely covers them all, and it's very... <laughs> right. I watched it and I was like, wait, this is not about this movie that yeah, it's much. like it's a 40, 40 minute documentary and it's 25 minutes in before there's any context to anything either of us can understand because we've only seen two of his movies. So, right. Uh, and yeah, they're just talking about King of the Road and Alice in the Cities primarily and wrong, wrong move a little bit uh, as well for for the majority of that. Um, but yeah, so stuff to look forward to because between Wings of Desire and this movie. Uh, he's been very impactful yeah. so far. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. Hopefully, the, um, the streak keeps up because yeah, I'm very pleased so far. Yeah, um, and before we get too far, I would be remiss if I did not mention the music by Ry Cooter. Uh, that is phenomenal for the movie as well. Absolutely, it is. Um, it is not necessarily what you would expect. I say just because, like, while this movie takes place in the Southwest, it is not a mo- It doesn't feel like a movie about the Southwest. But this, the but the music is excellent and feels makes the movie feel more like a movie about the Southwest than it. The, I don't know how to explain it. it. Like, right? It doesn't feel totally inappropriate or anything like that. It's just like if you actually were to look at both of them separately, you'd be like, well, these don't necessarily go together. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Cooter turns in what would be a very good modern Western soundtrack. And this is kind of a modern Western in ways. Yeah, I mean, Uh, are There are sort of superficial ways you could call this a modern version of The Searchers, I think. I mean, it definitely definitely has a lot of the themes of a a Western. It's just that it's when nowadays in my mind when I think of modern Western – I don't. My brain doesn't automatically go to the sort of what would what at best would be called sort of an avant-garde approach to Western. What I mean, right, right, you right. know what I mean. Like my mind goes to like the things I think of as that that are playing with Western tropes, but yeah. in a modern era that are cowboys and shootouts, right? Not, but or not. at least or a modern equivalent of that. Not a thing that is about sort yeah. of the themes of a Western, but it's very much right. No cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cooter will return. He's also one of the producers for the Buena Vista Social Club documentary that Wenders did in uh, 97. Um, I think, no, he produced their for, uh, he produced one of their albums. Anyway, he is involved with the podcast as well, or <laughs> podcast. <laughs> he's involved with the documentary as well. I can't remember exactly uh, the relationship. Well, he I mean, has he's with in it a bunch. In, uh, I mean, sorry, in the one that we, the, he's in, no, no, I mean, in the, he's, the he's involved Vista with Club. the Buena Vista okay. Social Club documentary, uh, which came out in 99, and we will watch as part of the Criterion Collection as well, though not for many years. Oh, that's unfortunate. I, uh, I kind of always wanted to watch that. Because I, I believe it is the most recent Winlanders added to the Criterion Collection, if I remember correctly. Uh, until the end of the world might actually have been added afterward. Anyway, uh, we have many years of Winlanders to look forward to. Okay. In fact, our next one is is not until the mid-600s, so we've actually got three years before we even get to it. God, but, okay, sure. Yeah. Another thing Criterion does sometimes is introduces us to someone 
follows it up pretty quickly with a second one, and then and then makes us wait years and years, years yeah. before we see another. Yeah, at least they just at least they didn't give us like a a four disc box set. And like all you needed to, about Wind to Wind really Wind front yeah. load us. Yeah. yeah. Or do the do what they did with Male, where they give us the box set first, and then it's you know eight years again before we right. see another yeah. Male film or whatever. It's a weird collection um, when you really get down to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes, absolutely. Um, I was not expecting. There's, there's, in my mind, iconic images when I think of Paris, Texas, a movie I had never seen until this week. Uh, but I think so often I have associated Harry Dean Stanton in the red ball cap with the beard standing in the desert. Right. I was not expecting that to be the first image of the film. Well, and probably, <laughs> like, I mean, I like I have I don't know anything about it. this. Is like I mean, I the name is literally the only thing I know about the movie up until right, we watched right. it. Um, you probably also weren't expecting that to only be like the first ten minutes of the movie, right? Like, and only the first right. ten minutes of the movie. Something we 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 progress out of relatively relatively quickly, right? Like that yeah. that sort of like totally lost wandering the desert. Uh, Herodian Sandin is a relatively short part of the beginning of the film, despite the fact that, like, you would think that it's more. Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah, we never actually go to actual Paris, Texas in the movie, nope, do we? We do not. We get well because Paris, Texas in the movie is a is a sort of almost right. mythical place, right. right? It is not. It's Paris. It's. Paris, Texas Paris. here is, <laughs> is, yeah, it is the metaphor that Paris always is. It's just Texas because it's an American movie. Um, yeah, no, it's, the name is, is absolutely that. Um, they do get kind of close, but also it's Texas, so who knows how close Yeah, I mean, is, I have right? no idea. I mean, I, um, it, yes, I mean. Yeah, in theory they could have that there, moment, but it's not actually. It's only important to the story in the sense that, like, it's the the dream and the goal. It's not the. It's not a real place you have to go to. Paris, Texas, might as well not exist. Like, it could not be. It could truly not be a, a real place, and it would be fine. Basically, the fact that it is apparently a real place is not. You know, not really that important. Right, 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 right. I hope yeah, it's a real it's place. This- what if it's not a real place? It is a real okay, place. I, I Paris, Texas check. does actually exist. I didn't actually check to find out. Um, I'm pretty sure. And I, I mean, guess I could be I, wrong. I'm going to Google Maps because I yeah it exists. All right. I I assume that you could just create a place name and it exists in, in Texas, Texas yeah. and it would exist. That's probably because true. There's just too many with you know within certain parameters. There are hotel prices uh, are ridiculous. I'm sure they're ridiculous everywhere. Everybody wants to go to Paris, Texas after this movie. Yeah, right. Uh, see see all the run, famous sites from the movie Paris, Texas. that aren't in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> the, right. See, find the vacant lot. You can go see. You can see the vacant lot. Oh, I'm man, sure the there's a lot of vacant lots The fact that they have a very Paris, tiny Texas. Eiffel Tower with a cowboy on hat on it is beautiful. <laughs> it's the first Google. All right, that's, it's the first image that pops up in the Google Maps. It's that's very good. Very beautiful. That's very good. Um. I like, there's a lot of about this movie I like. Aesthetically, uh, you know, we've already talked about the music, but uh, it is obvious to me that this is visually inspired by the works of, say, Edward Hopper, who is a painter I really love. 
um, of just, you know, emptiness in American scenes and the isolation. Hopper, interestingly, uh, always insisted <laughs> if anyone asked him about the loneliness in his paintings, he's like, oh, the, they're just paintings. They don't mean anything. <laughs> um, which I love about Hopper because apparently he was not a, <laughs> a self-reflexive man at all. Um, because literally every painting this man ever made has a deep, deep, deep uh, loneliness to it. It's people looking through windows from the outside, just single people staring off at the ocean through an open doorway or an open window staring out over the city. Um yeah, they're all very much about loneliness. Uh, and a lot of the visual stuff in this movie is the same way. Um, not necessarily direct references to Hopper, but uh, I can see the influence there. Um, Hopper, for instance, never had uh, two people on either side of a two-way mirror. <laughs> talking to one another without looking at one another. Right. That was not a thing Hopper ever put into his but a phenomenal image here. And you know, a a good bulk of the the last part of this movie is is that conversation of just the two of them monologuing at each other. Uh and it's just it's such a phenomenal set piece of them looking at each other and her perspective just the incredible depression of that window. From the inside. Yeah, no, I when they finally reveal like when 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 the movie finally lifts the facade of because yeah. like how just absolutely barren and fucked up it is from her direction is just right. really like oh man, it's it is all very impactful, right? Like and his his side is also barren and 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 depressing right. in such in a, di- a completely different way it like is, is a window into like some m- like mystical land right where like and then we're, and it's revealed to just be a facade it's like it's very i mean you know but like yeah when it's revealed it's very very good i i particularly really love there's one there's one shot from his side where she's standing in the center of the mirror and he is reflecting oh, yeah. at her face yep it's very very uh, good that yeah but, really great yeah, just the the visual language of of that interaction, of the glass between them, of the separation, of yeah, the reflection and the light, uh, you know, of well, I mean, there's just you know, the, the whole right, the I'm... whole aspect of that is that you know, and reflected in the story that that Travis can see her and can see himself, but still can't let her see him, right. And when she finally does, he just steps back into the darkness and disappears again. Uh, yeah, just everything about this movie just works so well together. Yeah, I mean... I'm so happy about it. It, it, it is... The movie is very disconcerting in the beginning, right? Like, it takes you a long time. You, you go very, very far into the movie before you realize whether or not things... Are, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Like before, you feel like the movie is safe, if that makes sense. Like, right. you get so so deep into it, being like, "This is everything here is so very precarious that," and and I can't, you know, Wim Wenders is not somebody I feel and I know enough about or feel enough of a connection to yet to know whether or not, like, to know whether or not he's the sort of director who will make it go bad or make it go well. Um, 
you know what I mean? Like, I just don't have enough data to know. Um, Wings of Desire is an interesting movie, but, like, doesn't seem to give me much guidance about this movie, per se, other than to know that it will explore deep emotional concepts. Um, And so you get very, very far in before you realize, like, oh, maybe, like, this is not going to be super negative or anything. I don't know how to explain. I, I don't know. It's hard to articulate what I'm thinking, but like, well, it's interesting that in my view, at least when, when the movie starts to feel safe is also right before, uh, <laughs> Travis kidnaps Hunter. Well, basically. yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, I mean, that, that is true. Yeah. I, I agree. The problem, I mean, the sort of the main problem you run into with that part of the movie and it is kind of a problem, is the fact that Harry Dean Sen is our main character. We, we right, follow him, right, and so, right, right. and and you don't ever get the impression of him. Up until then, we also don't know what he did precisely to sort of destroy right, his family. Right, right. So we don't feel he's a dangerous person at that point, right? right. Like, what he's right. doing doesn't feel, like, overtly scary. I mean, in reality, right, if you're sympathizing with... Um, his brother and his brother's him and his you know his brother and her his wife yeah if you yeah you 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 if you're heavily sympathizing with them it's going to be very scary right but the movie doesn't really ask you to do that i think it's i don't remember either of their names uh jane and what was his brother's name in the movie no J- jane is kinsky's oh, character man, i get so, so. confused and is it yeah Anne? Yes, yeah. Anne and Walt, Walt okay. are. Walt is the brother. Anne is his wife. Uh, Anne, by the way, uh, played by Aurora Clement, uh, who we absolutely have seen. Uh, she plays France, the uh, the daughter of the of the Jewish man in uh, Le Camelouchen. Was her first film role. Oh, okay. Um, the Louis Malle film. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, you know, t- t- fantastic movie. Uh, we saw her. I would not have guessed when we saw her in that that she was twenty nine years old. Uh, maybe we talked about it during that episode because because uh, she definitely looks younger there. Uh, but but yeah, um, so we have seen her before too. Uh, and of course, we've seen Harry Dean Stanton in uh, Criterion films before too. Right. But yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, you're yeah, I mean, you're just not. The movie doesn't really ask you to sympathize with them. Not not really. Right, right, right. And so it's not that scary. Like, yeah. Again, in real life, it would be fucking terrifying, right? You're, right. you're, and you know. I think the movie does want us to understand, particularly Anne's fear of losing Hunter. Yes. That this is, yes. that this is a child she loves. And her accusations that, that Walt is trying to push Hunter away, I don't think are founded in what we see happening in the movie. They are meant to be her fear. They're, yeah, they are. Um, they are just fear. Yeah, for sure. And like we even hear yeah. them both affirm, and and we hear Hunter yeah. hear that they they love him very much. And so I right, think I right, think the right, movie right, right. want the movie doesn't try to scare us that way. You know what I mean? It it, it wants us to understand these are emotional reactions that are normal, and that like this isn't a by that time we start to understand this is not a scary movie. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't mean in a horror sense, but I mean in a like, this is not a movie about like a dad 
coming back and stealing the kid that they've been taking care of and like running away with them and then abandoning him or something. You know what I mean? Like it is, but it's not like in that scary way that 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 could be about, right? Um, it does not feel that it's that safe until around that time. You start to finally feel safe at that point. Somewhere right. around there. Up until then, you're like, I don't know where this is going, but I'm nervous. Right, right, 100%. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's so obvious that Wenders is making a very American film here. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, we've got sort of ideological references to, like, Easy Rider. We've already mentioned The Searchers. Um, it's a road movie. Uh I also find it, it's, I don't even know if it's necessarily purposefully subversive of some of those Ameri- Americana oh, things, too. I think it definitely too. is. It's I, super different. Aspects are, is. definitely, right? Aspects are, definitely. Like the character being named Travis, who in 1984, definitely a, an American character named Travis, certainly on an international stage at least, still would have been associated with like Travis Bickle from ta- Taxi Driver, right. I think, right? Um, <clears throat> but like, I imagine, see, it's Texas, so it could just be largest city in Texas. But with an idea of of driving and the insistence on driving in this movie, driving across Texas is itself its own hell. But Houston particularly is possibly the worst car city in the entire world. Yeah. Uh, Houston has three downtowns that you cannot, there's no way to navigate Houston by foot or by non non motor vehicle, it is not a it is not a city that exists on a human scale. Right, right. Uh, and this movie is very good about showing that well, Houston I, that, does not that exist. Has to like be a even choice. even the bank, even the bank is one hundred percent drive up. Right, exactly. Right? And and then uh, you have yeah. these characters trying to exist as humans inside of this almost. Yeah. It reads almost at times like like almost like a science fiction world. You know what I mean? Like, right. like the way right. that the way like Hunter sits outside of this bank that's ever so slightly futuristic, and like there's just there's just nowhere to be, right? Like, right. It it just has no place to be a person, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's there's a phenomenal YouTube series called not just bikes that i really love it's about bike infrastructure particularly and as a as a a person who bikes a lot uh i engage with that sort of thing um but he the the person who does not just bikes is someone who grew up in uh london ontario canada uh and has since moved to the netherlands uh but he used to travel for work and he's got a video dedicated to houston as his least favorite place he has ever been because he was at a hotel and needed to walk to get like a new suitcase, I yeah. think is the story. And couldn't. There was no, like he he recreates, he goes back to Houston and recreates the walk for the video. And like he's walking on like an eight inch sidewalk over a bridge uh, yeah. or yeah. just convenience paths on grassy hills, no. down slopes from the road. Uh, I mean, I, for so, work, I travel a fair amount to America, as you know, and yeah. being in a hotel in America with a person with as a person without a car is a is right. an actual practical nightmare. You're like, okay, I yeah. need to get food, or I need to go. Like, I had one time I needed to buy deodorant, and it was like, 
I guess I'm gonna trudge through like the berms next to sh- like like gro- like yeah. restaurants and like that's it. Like I okay, and sometimes I'm just gonna have to like bolt across a road with no high with no sidewalk or anything. It's like what am I doing? This is a nightmare. Right, right. Yeah. You're lucky if you can walk through McDonald's parking lots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a reprieve. For like, like a mile. oh, thank God. Like, yeah. there's, a, there's a stretch yeah. of, like, land that isn't actively being driven on right now. Right. Right. Yeah, so so because of not just bikes, Houston in particular, I think, has this this idea in my mind as a place where you cannot be human, as you said. And this movie is very good about showing that. Yeah. About just you know when they get on the highway while following her just that mass and this is 84 you know it's gotten worse in the oh, last yeah, for sure. 35 years yeah, i'm sure a, a million uh, new lanes yeah where it's just this this knot of of overpasses and it's not a classical car chase scene it is a classic like tail them on the road you know what i mean like the sidewalk tail scene that you see in a in a new york like detective movie or something where they're like, okay, just right. follow at a distance, right? And you're like, but it's in cars, and it's just how much of it, it's kind of like, it's playing with that idea, right? That idea of like, oh, you know, we got to tail them, and you walk behind them at a distance. Right. It's, oh, there's even two people who look the same, but it's a car, and it's a nightmare. It sucks. It's horrible. And like, even, even that place 120 miles outside of Houston that they stop at over the night mm. is just this paved highway that is twice as wide as it should be and the asphalt goes right up to the building entrances yeah right the bar doesn't there's no sidewalk the bar opens right up to where the cars park and the lane is like 20 feet wide uh even beyond the parking and it's just phenomenally wide in the shot when we look down that road uh well, yeah. and the movie starts uh, off with the only just, place that Travis can exist as a person is literally the middle of fucking nowhere. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that that scene particularly is even more so. Like when we're in Houston, we're only really in two buildings. You know, we're outside of the bank, of course, right. but we're only really ever in uh, the Peep Show and the La Meridian downtown. Right. This fancy European style architecture centered hotel that is they're on the fifteenth floor overlooking Houston. Mm. But in that scene where they stop for the night and he goes to the bar and they end up falling asleep on just those couches in a random storefront, that is just a collection of the most depressing buildings I have ever seen yeah. in a movie. Just I mean, by and yeah. large, this movie is is essentially just depressing buildings like i mean what i'm what i mean obviously there's quite a bit of emotional buildings and depressing car infrastructure the movie is is in many ways he when wenders emphasizes the loneliness of it with the architecture that he's engaging with in the sense that like none of those buildings feel like people places not really right even the house like even his brother's house feels weird and uncomfortable right it doesn't it's, oh it's not a people place yeah it's because people it's this, live there it's but it's not fancy, a good place to be it's this fancy upper middle class suburban home that is on top of the airport yeah it's it's like and the thing is is like you can tell that um you know this was an was in some way an aspirational place right like Walt's yeah very 
Walt imagines himself to be happy with it because it's it's nice. It's fancy, right? Like it costs a lot yeah. of money to be there. But it's actually a hellscape. Like right. the airplanes borderline land in the front yard. Like the yeah. the architecture of the place itself is just depressingly cold. Like they had lived there and like they 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 are living a life there. It's not like it's not like one of those kinds of movies where we're we're trying to imply that those two are not like have been dehumanized by the place they live or anything like that. They are still very much humans, uh, but they are right. inhabiting a place that is hell. They, they, right. They sh- and they're inhabiting... Of their own volition, apparently. Like, uh, Yeah. When, when Travis says he wants to walk and get Hunter from school, and Hunter says, no one walks, everyone drives... Uh, you know, it's just, and then the the walk they do actually end up going on, where they're separated by this vast river of roadway the entire time, too. Right. Well, what's you know, shocking just, about it is there's actually fucking sidewalks. You know what I mean? Like, right, like, right, I, right, right. I was actually kind of surprised that it was as hospitable of a walk. Excuse me, as hospitable of a walk as it was. Yeah. Like this is still what's funny about it me what it's telling me is this movie is actually so sort of, its own sort of timepiece, right? Because Hunter couldn't walk to school now. Like practically no. speaking could not. I promise you. Like the neighborhood right. school that is walkable by sidewalk is a ra- is a nearly gone entity from from this from the, from America, right? Like it's just not, it's certainly not in anything built new, which is like they're living in a nice new neighborhood, right? And somebody bothered to right. build sidewalks. Yeah, and the school is close enough yeah. to and reach by sidewalk. Yeah, it's interesting to me the way this stuff is 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 shown in the movie because it's not like uh, my uncle Hello, where we're actively satirizing the right, right. the middle class suburban experience, right? Uh, it's subtler than that. I feel it's. But it, I feel it's and, sympathetic to it. To it's not in like the like right, oh right. like this is there's something good about this or anything like that. It's sympathetic in the sense that like this is just this sad thing is just what American life is like. Right, right. I'm I'm sorry for the thing you that has been built around you and that you've been made a part of. <laughs> like, because yeah. this is not where when Winders grew up. This is not where any and and to a certain extent. If I'm being totally honest, I feel like in a very kind of odd way, this remind it feels almost like Wim Wenders is doing to America what American and European films do to like other places all the time. It's a kind of a well. What I mean is like it, it's 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 more sensitive than a lot of those are. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's got a sort of like. Almost, hi- it's almost sort of hyperized the things that define that mentally define this place for people from another place. You know, what I mean? it's almost yeah. it's borderline like fetishistic, but not in like not in a way that views it as positive. <laughs> I don't know how to explain like what I'm going for, but like it feels like Windwinders wanted to make a movie, an American movie, heavy emphasis on American. There is. There is a slogan. Uh, well, I won't sloganize it because I, I will explain it. But there's this idea of, uh, in talking about bike infrastructure particularly, there's this idea that 
uh, Europe, and we've seen we've seen another Hulo film deals with this. We've seen Europe post-war embrace car culture, right? And now today, Europe has, in a lot of places, Europe it's has pulled to, back yeah, from that car culture, yeah. has pushed back against it. Uh, the Netherlands, in particular, but in other cities as well. Other, I mean, you keep re- well. you keep re- if you wa- if you read the internet enough, you keep hearing about cities being like, "Oh, actually, we made that part of the downtown walk only, or like bike right, and right, walk only." Right. Like, and and you're not allowed to drive right. in central Paris anymore. Yeah, and I think there's some places whatever. in like the big cities in Spain yeah. too. It's just like a fairly yeah. strong pushback on it. Well, well, in Europe, that car infrastructure grew to absorb you know we get the uh you know we get this in uh some uh some of the more recent um uh goddard films that we've watched too uh that car culture those highways were able to be built because of the bombings of world war ii like all this this was empty space so they could build a highway through their city center because all of those buildings were gone right in America, we bulldozed neighborhoods, right. predominantly African-American neighborhoods, in order to build those highways. Right. And Houston is just... L.A. certainly had... It happened in L.A. It didn't happen in the parts of L.A. that we see, but it definitely happened in the parts of Houston that we see, uh, where you know it's just this desolation. So when you talk about you know viewing America in the same way that America has viewed European countries, I... I think of that as all of the American movies we've seen post-war, where 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 you know, and we see it from European movies too, certainly. But stuff filmed on location in Europe that is of particular interest in seeing the remnants of the desolation. Right, right, exactly. War. Yeah, it's right. definitely like rem- reminiscent, reminis- reminiscent. Yeah, reminiscent of like. The way Americans did make those kind of movies, and also the way like Europeans and Americans, like I, you know, my touchstone is always going to be like movies about Japan or movies about somewhere in Asia or, right, or right, India right. or something, where it's like the choices that were made were made with an intent of showing a very specific like view of that place. Aren't necessarily right. perfectly, aren't necessarily representative of what that place is actually like, but is what. Whereas like. When Winters literally picked maybe the worst places on earth, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, I mean, not to to highlight in some capacity how lonely and desolate the place right. is on the whole, like across the board. But right, I I don't think Winters made this for any. I don't think Winters has any political bone. No, I don't in th- his movie making body that we've seen. But his portrayal of America here is like one hundred percent perfect nineteen eighties Soviet propaganda. Right. Well, and what, about and, just just how the kings of capitalism. This is what they've done. Right. This is with, what they built. Like <laughs> the only place this person can actually yeah. exist is to walk out into the middle of the fucking desert, um, or be in his car. Or be in his car. Well, and that's what I mean. Is I don't think I agree. I don't think this is a political. But I think when Winders does have a and we see this. We saw this with Wings of Desire. A strong sense of the places. You know what I mean? Like a really yeah. strong connection to places and what they mean and what they are. So, like, despite not necessarily having a political motivation to like 
criticize America. It, he's found the most ma- American places that can America at any given time. Right. right you know what right, I mean? Like, right, right. like and, and, and has chosen those places and used them to, to make a movie about America. Yeah. And, and, and this movie very much is about America. Like, right. Yeah. There is one thing that I'm not convinced that Wenders is trying to critique Americans' car dependency in any way. One, I don't think he'd think about it like that. No, I don't. But think also, so. I think he, I think he loves Americans' car culture. I, he's definitely like even I, one of the interviews we have with him is shot while he's driving around L.A. I, I right? think he has a. Fa- I think <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to explain. It. I I imagine it, I agree. I don't think he hates it. I think he has a fascination for it. Again, in a sort of like, maybe in a sort of. Oh, check out this really cool foreign thing. Like, that's not that he's like a visitor to the idea. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, yeah. It's cool to make movies about things that aren't your life per se. You know, kind of idea. Right. Yeah. Part of that. Obviously, we'll get to that road movies box set eventually. Uh, but part of the documentary on this one, the road to Paris, Texas, that that I think probably should have been included <laughs> yeah, with that box. We might need to just watch it again set. when we finally get to that yeah. set, right? Right, 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 right. If it's not but, actually uh, already on there, it might be on that one too, frankly. Yeah, it might be on there too. Um, but part of that, it seems very clear uh, from the way we're get, being presented with those movies in that documentary that Wenders was very interested in making an American-style road movie a la Tulane Blacktop or right. or Easy Rider. Well, he's the right age for it, right? But like, that, yeah. You know. Right, right. But that geographically, you couldn't make a movie like that in Germany, right? right? There's just not those wide-open spaces. Uh, well, exactly. So, yeah, you know, he's got, he's got... But in the, on a similar tick, it's probably like Truffaut and Goddard's obsession with American gangster movies in the yeah, same way. I think like so. they're, you know, they're not they're not aping that out of a love of American culture, but just out of this is what I'm familiar with. Right. This is the uh, one. This is the thing I grew up watching and like, connect yeah. maybe connected with when I was 17 years old. Right. This is what I thought right. was cool when I was 17 years old. Here's my kind of pretty distant take on that thing. Like, here's my sort of derivation of it. And I think Winters yeah. is interesting here because by the time, you know, by the time he gets to make, he makes this, he's already made some other, his attempts at road movies in Europe, right? Right. And, like, I think by the time he gets to this, he's kind of personally moved past just making a road movie, right? Like, for the sake of trying to yeah. make a road movie, right? Now he's, like kind of more being a little bit more having more depth to it in like exploring what what elements are are a road movie and what elements aren't a road movie right like and and playing with the ideas well yeah obviously another aspect of it is that there is not a single iconic car in this movie yeah right right and you know when (laughs) i really love the scene where uh Travis first comes to try to walk home with Hunter and he asks his friend if he can get a ride home and the car they get into is a beat up Volvo station wagon that doesn't even start. Yeah. 
like like we spend time watching Travis's face as we hear the car turn over over and over again. Uh yeah. And, you know, Jane's car is certainly not an iconic car. It's a it's a red hatchback. I, mean, I w- my only that and that is an interesting thing about it, right? Nobody drives like a quote unquote nice car in this movie. Yeah. And I, I, I had to admit- And the nicest the nicest car anyone drives is a rental. And we have a big conversation about how they can't get that same right, car yeah. again. Right? My only real issue with that is probably the fact that like it I could argue that it makes a it misses the mark a little bit as to how much cars are representative of sort of social status in American society and the idea that like you would think at least Walt should be driving but I guess we don't really interact with Walt car at all do we like his own personal vehicle right once we get back to la well i can't remember what he drives no, we don't around. even really get any scenes of like there is the scene they where get home uh, they're definitely driving but i don't know if we get any external shots of the car i can't remember there the only scene i can think of is not walt's car but ann's car okay uh presuming that they have two cars which they do. uh which it's america which they almost certainly do uh when Anne is Anne is taking Hunter to school when Travis first says, "I'd like to pick him up what and walk him home." What is it? I can't. They're remember. getting into a car, but it's just it's a pretty generic station wagon, as far as I can recall. Right. Although that that um, kind of also checks out because like, who gets to drive the status car in a an American family is a very right, like, right, 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 right. We and we yeah. say, if we don't interact yeah, with so, Walt's car, we don't really have any evidence of that way one way or the other. So I guess it's fine. I mean, it's fine that all the cars are kind of like not interesting cars which but you feel right it doesn't comment on a thing that is very true about american car culture as well right uh, but it's but it's interesting that they're not interesting yes. in that wenders is obviously making reference to all these road movies that are also about iconic true vehicles absolutely. right uh and that's yeah well, and the, i think that's part of his effort of making like an american movie right like right and and a flip side to that too is the amount of shots we get from uh from the car's perspective looking out the window of the car as we right. pull up on the bank for instance you know of uh or out the you know <laughs> they've got the they've got the El Camino at that point so you know he's just like in the ba- <laughs> they've just got the camera mounted in the bed of the truck yeah. as they pull up i think is actually the the framing of that but in any case um you know it's <laughs> To a certain extent, is a movie from a car's perspective too. Yeah, right? yeah. Which is, which is just another little stab at America, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, uh, it's definitely possible that, like, as you pointed out, like, Windmenders can make, has managed to make something that can be considered both the most, some of the most damning American anti-American propaganda you could ever make, <laughs> right. with not a right. single malicious boat in his body about it. Like, it's really right. quite. Quite fascinating. Like, just making a movie about well, and that's the thing, right? That's that's the um, that's like the the Nazi Germany problem of like, you know, like that we've talked about in the past, where like it's where it's like, oh, you're just so bad that just talking about what happens actually in that place seems like it's a, a propaganda based attack. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Like. Right. Wim Wenders is making a American road movie within with heavy air quotes, but but it's an 
American road movie about actual American roads rather than the fantasy version of those things. Yeah. And it's not, it's not an El Camino. It's uh, like 58 uh, Ranchero. Uh, Right. So, you know, it is, it's an old truck. It's kind of an iconic truck. It's a truck built on a shape, right? Like it is notably a car. He got very cheap for sure. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's also, the Ranchero is maybe an interesting car because it is like a truck built from a station wagon chassis. So yeah, like I mean, it's just low and, and long. It is a strange um, car. It is one of the, but that's, so when, and I mean, he kind of, I guess in that sense, he kind of picks iconic cars, but they're iconic in the wrong way. Like her hatchback right. is just a, a notably bad car like you know what i mean like and that's the thing is like there's a lot of people driving cars that are like almost purposely bad cars right that are just like yeah no one would her her car is so non-iconic there's two of them on the road right identical in every (laughs) capacity yeah 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 it's just it's it is fun to me that that is a thing that that Wenders is at least partially doing with this. Yeah, movie I mean, yeah, he's is, he is aware of the place and the time and the and like his sense of understanding of the places he's talking about seems to be incredibly accurate and and sharp. Yeah, it's just and that, that was true in Wings of Desire in a different way, but still very much true, right? Like his sense of the. The places he shoots the film, that film, feel, participate in the story. And so do all the places here, too, right? The places aren't chosen in this film because they just seemed like a good idea. Like, you know what I mean? They, they are chosen, they feel much more deliberately chosen as a reflection of what the characters are going through and what the story is about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's no just like offhanded. Well, we found this place, and that's fine. It's good enough. It doesn't feel that way, right? Um, there's no throwaway locations in this movie. Is what I'm saying. Um, so I, right. yeah, and 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 that's also true of a lot of the sort of like story emotional content of the movie as well, because he is also talking about like it's a very different perspective, but a talking about American family life, right? Right. And and what relationships are are like, right? Um they're like not good they're not they're they're uncomfortable bad relationships in many ways, right? But like there's a lot of like what is family? Like the movie is very interested in what is a family, right? Playing around with those ideas. Like Hunter has a family. People who are his family but they are not his biological family. And then it kind of talks about what it means to, to be a family. Right. Because like we eventually find out that Travis is so terrified of losing his family that he essentially locks them in a cage. Right. Like he's right. And he's so he's aware that he's bad and his family wants to leave. And he has, lock them up to prevent that from happening right right and his you know and his growth is that he recognizes that that impulse is still there 
So he reunites the family without himself. Right. He makes a, uh, a he makes a, a noticeable sacrifice that he is not going to try to be a part, at least not yet, a part of this, right? Right. But he can help. It, it is interesting in your mind to imagine where things go from here. It's not necessary. The movie doesn't obviously need a sequel or anything like that. But you, right. as an audience member, you get to imagine what life is like for them. Right, I mean, like, Hunter's very, very happy to see his mother, his biological mother. Obviously, but I guarantee, and she's very happy to see right. him. And it, but it's also very true. I'm sure that Hunter will also miss Anne and Walt. Right, like, and so one right. has to imagine and hope that 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 some something is arrived at that, like, because they did raise him for four years, and tr- and he called them mom and dad. Right, right. Yeah, I like the part of the the one documentary when they start talking about the ending, and it's right toward the end of the documentary too, um, where uh, you know Wenders is talking about how he doesn't like movies with endings, and every ending he's ever put on a movie was just to make the producers happy right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. sign off on the uh, and sign off on the script. Um, but then Stanton talking about. His absolute hatred. Yeah, he hasn't gotten you know, over he's it. He's talking in 89. All right. You know, he, he says, I still haven't gotten over it, but it's only like five years later at that right. point. Um, but but his just absolute, absolute rejection of the way this movie ended. Well, like I wanted him. I wanted them to go back to the family and I was so mad that they didn't go back to the yeah, family. Yeah, it's it's it is. I do earnestly believe that Wim Wenders is right. Like, right. This is that the is best also, way this could end. Like this is how this movie should end. That, I think that's one that's true, but it's also the most realistic way to this ebb and flow of American family, of you know just just the way these relationships are working, you know, and the way it is true to the relationships we've seen established. Absolutely. The way that ends. Yeah, as much as I would love for this to end in them being a couple again and Hunter and they they go back and they get a house next door to Walt and Anne. Right. That yeah, is not, not the world that this movie ex- exists well, in. Well, and, and no matter what, uh, like Travis can't be a part of it. Like, guaranteed. Like, Travis right. is, is still dangerous to this family and Travis knows that and we know that as an audience, right? Like, we know that Travis can't be a part of this. I mean, right. it's easy to imagine a version of the film where that where where Jane and Hunter go back, and but like that would be a sort of I think a betrayal of what the movie's about because it would it would be too final. It would give you too much. Nobody in this movie gets anything approaching like true, real like closure to their problems. They get they get to move forward, right? But they don't get to like fix anything like finally. Yeah. And and that would feel too much like an actual final answer, right? And that's what not what families are, right? Families don't have final answers, right? They have whatever it is now, right? Um, yeah. Wenders in that in one of the interviews, uh I think it's the the German language interview or maybe French language interview. Um I can't remember which one. Because uh, there's a couple. Yeah, I only I only um, able to watch Road to but, Paris, Texas because it's 45 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm out of right. time now. One of 
Yeah, one of the uh, one of the interviewers asks him how the movie was received in America, and he says it was absolutely rejected in America. Um, which is not entirely true. Roger Ebert loved it. Um, well, but accepted by other... critics is not the same thing as the movie being right, broadly right, right, accepted right, right. in, in, in well, America, right? I don't. Uh... Yeah, but when you when you talk about it being rejected in America from a from a director's perspective, he's talking about critics yeah. too. Um, the uh, New York Magazine review of it uh, called it lifeless and a fiasco, which is so obviously untrue that I, so <laughs> I'm like, mad at this guy. Yeah, like that's just. This movie has. This is one of those. Okay, like boy, let's get up on my get let's get a whip out a soapbox, right? Um, this is one of those movies that reminds you just how fucking amazing movies can be, even when they feel somewhat not. Like I see, you see lots of good movies. Okay, it's not like the. I don't want to say that mo- like movies are completely dead or anything like that, but like. This is one of those movies where, like, nothing showy happens in the movie, like, at all. But right. it's incredibly good. Um, and makes you realize just how sort of on a human level impactful movies can be. Wings of Desire was very, very similar. Although Wings of Desire had more special effects than this has. Um, yeah. But, like, it, it just kind of reminds you that, like, oh, like, you can just have movies about people and they will be deeply like they'll be intense to watch and emotionally affecting without like nobody we kills anybody in this movie there's no there's no overt we do talk about violence but we don't see any overt violence i don't know like it just feels like but the movie is incredibly intense also at the same time like i didn't like get bored you know what I mean? Like right. I didn't zone out. Like the movie never lost right. me at any point, despite being pretty long. It's a two and a half hour movie. Um, it is long, but it doesn't it doesn't feel particularly long. Like you're pretty emotionally invested, so it feels it it pulls you along the whole way. I I don't know. It's like lifeless feels so almost like a crime of a sentence about this movie. So, right. Yeah, yeah, really. Like, it honestly, really does. It 100%. feels like, did you watch, did you walk into the wrong theater? Perhaps you saw a show I, of some some other movie on accident. Calling calling this movie lifeless, to me, is like one, a hair's breadth away from calling it un-American, and that being the, the <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, the absolutely, yeah, totally. It. Oh, this right. movie is, uh, is un-American. And you'd property. say that for similar reasons. Yes, absolutely. Too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it seems like it, it seems like it has other good reviews, right? Um, it's like the New yeah, York yeah, Times yeah. Plenty said, of other people really loved it, and and internationally it was loved. I mean, it won the Palme d'Or, right? Uh, it won a Critics Prize at the uh, at at Cannes that year as well. Um, but I can also definitely understand this movie not playing well in the United States, right? Like, right. It oh, it, that's it. 100%. Definitely is the kind of movie that cuts really close to home for like a huge swath of Americans, right? Like this is the kind of movie if if you're not ready for the movie to hold up a sort of like uncomfortable mirror to the to world you live in, this could be really not a fun watch, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting one of the one of the sentences in the uh, in the uh in the Wikipedia page is talking about Nick Roderick's uh 
Criterion essay. Um, and Roderick, in the essay, and this wasn't even anything that popped up when I read the essay. It didn't pop out to me. Uh, but um, Roderick comments on how this has such an affectionate portrayal of the U.S., and it was surprising that it was well-received by European filmmakers at Cannes in the Reagan era, right? a time of, of anti-American sentiment within Europe, European high culture, at least, right? But again, I don't... I, I really think this movie is just... If not purposefully, it is easily read as an affectionate anti-Americanism within the movie itself. Right. Right. It, yeah. Uh, I, I. Yeah. I mean. Again. I. I don't really believe it's necessarily like meant to be a, like an Amer- a takedown of American culture, but like it just happens right. to be true that holding a mirror up to what like American life is like is like scary. It's like not fun to look yeah. at. Uh, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel alive. It doesn't feel uh, yeah. Well, I guess that's the that's the indictment of that that um of that like that particular review right of the like lifeless fiasco is like yeah the parts about america are a lifeless fiasco because that's what american cities are like they're lifeless fiascos like houston houston (laughs) is a lifeless fiasco the la suburbs are a lifeless fiasco and and because this movie holds like so i guess in that in that very funny way david denby um he's right Maybe a hundred percent correct about the movie. It's just maybe maybe it didn't get all the way through. Like he got the emotion he was maybe supposed to get a, out of it. It's just right. oops, that's not the movie. That's the place you live. Maybe it's an interpretation problem on whoever put that in the Wikipedia article, though. Maybe maybe that reviewer is is actually very cogent <laughs> about yeah. Uh, that, uh, that would be very maybe, funny. Maybe he's saying. It's lifeless. It's un-American, and he means that in the highest praise. Right, right. Um, but, that would be very, very funny if you go read that that review, and it's like, oh yeah, no, this this movie, this review has it right, right hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, as I mean, you could definitely you could say that about the paintings of Edward Hopper too. That they're that they're lifeless, uh, not fiascos. That's that's less of an argument you could make about Hopper's paintings. There's not enough going on for it to be a fiasco. But, uh, but like, but, but the thing about it is, it all lifeless. depends on what you're describing as a fiasco, right? Like, if you're right, describing right, right, right. the design of this thing as a fiasco, 100 percent accurate, right? Like, and like, Edward Hopper is dealing with a, a part of America that is still. Is is very much in that transition rather than like already a hundred percent there in many ways, right? Uh, whereas this is all the way there already. It's only just gotten more of that since this movie was made. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I just well, good luck finding that review because um, if you look up down in the dumps in Texas, the title of that article. That review article, um, you do not, not get, you get mostly um, information about uh, trash dumps in Texas. This movie is so incredibly successful at the goals that the director has in mind, from the acting of the parts to, like as we talked about, the locations, the music, the music. Like the more I think about the music and how lonely the music feels too, it's very much. 
like a modern take on a cowboy film in that the music that's oftentimes what cowboy films are about too, right? Is desolation. There's a very there's a very interesting reason why the music seems lonely too though. Not I mean, obviously there is a mind writing that music to sound the way right. it sounds. But also Cooter and Wenders went out to the desert and just did like field recordings for inspiration. Right. And the wind they picked up on the recordings was uh, E flat. Uh, so they tuned everything to E flat. Oh, nice. Uh, to, to reflect the wind of the desert, uh, which is silly. Right, but uh, and very good. Right. And obviously it worked out it, it for did. their inter- artistic interpretation of what's going on here. But it's but also yeah. worth remembering that, like, that kind of cowboy movie music is lonely on purpose. Like it just right, is. Right. That's like part of the deal, right? Like you're given your yeah. your cowboy riding a horse in the desert alone is meant to feel lonely. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Right. And it he doesn't is isolated on purpose. It doesn't just work for the isolation and the driving and the walking in the desert. It also where it first really, really struck me was the whole movie sequence. Oh yeah, where he's watching yeah. the whole movies, and then yeah, it's just. Well, yeah. what I what I found really uh, interesting is like, you know, sometimes you talk about you can talk about the music in a movie sort of just blending in and feeling like it's good because it 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 just it matches the tone and it blends in and you don't notice it or something like that, but the this move this music likes to hit real like hard spikes at times to like purposely remind you that it's there and like make you like it's supposed to almost give you pause you know what i mean like you're watching a scene and then suddenly like though the musical hit really like hard will hit a note really hard like hit a chord really hard and you'll suddenly remember like oh right the music it's here and it's like very deeply a part of the story right 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 so there is one other point I think where where Wenders is definitely actively poking fun at American okay. culture, and that is when uh, when Walt is first introduced. When we first visually see Walt, mm-hmm. he's wearing a ball cap that says Stetson on it. Oh, is he? I didn't notice and that. Just, that. That is definitely yeah. a joke. That's a very Right. Well, and that's the thing. He's not wearing a classic Stetson cowboy hat. Right. He's wearing a, a the most iconic U.S. American headwear you can have, the American baseball hat. Right. And it with says the, Stetson With the second most iconic piece of headwear. <laughs> right. The name of it written on the on it. Um, I mean, right. you kind of get that a few times, right? Like, um, and and I think probably if we if we're going to have a artistic vision kind of conversation. Winders is, I think, poking fun at Walt as a character more than anybody else. Not not heavily, not right. hard. But Walt is meant to be quintessentially modern American, right? Like Walt yes. has cowboy boots that he lends to uh like right. kind of nonchalantly lends to um to um Travis. Like as it doesn't as though it doesn't matter. Things that are very expensive, by the way. Like and like Goes and puts on just the most generic tennis shoes you've ever seen in your entire life. Just like white right, strap-on right. tennis shoes. Dad shoes. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the most dad shoes um, you can imagine. And Walt's not meant to be a bad person or a bad... like He's right. just very, very modern American. 
Yeah. In all the all the blaseness that that right. is. You know, he lives in his suburban house and he wants his suburban job and, you know, he's there is there is an aspect to that that I think you could read uh that Walt is emasculated. You know, he's raising someone who's not his son. Yeah. Uh but but I hesitate to even read it like I, that I because think that's certainly an unfair reading. I would say Travis. Travis is not some pinnacle of American masculinity either. No, no. Right? He, you know, his only his only violent outbursts are in the past, and he obviously regrets them, and he's on an emotional journey of moving past. Them. Right, and also is very uh, very aware that like that's a part of who he is, and like it's not something he can like ignore and push away. Right, that like. Right, right, right. That that person is still that there. it is something he needs to right. overcome, but is also something he hasn't overcome right. yet. Whereas, whereas Walt is uh, is more the opposite type of character who is like he has adjusted to this life that he is in, and like we yeah. don't ever see the only times we really see Walt happy is when he's dealing with like his family in a positive way, right? Like Walt right. is just a suburban dad, like he just is, yeah. and like with Walt, everything that means, Walt Walt is all facade. But he's all facade in the same way that the peep show rooms are all facade, yes. right? Uh, and it's this. He is also a man who sells facades, which is fascinating, right? Like, right, right. And he sells facades. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. The scene of them on the building—it's it's really is good. Really it's good very, too. very good. Yeah. Uh, uh, but like, but Walt, but yeah. legitimately cares very, very, very much about his family. Like deeply, like, and we right. get that. Like, right. we are told by the movie that Walt is a good person who cares about his family, yeah. um, and that his his actions about pushing Hunter and Travis back together are not as a way of pushing Hunter away from himself, right. but as a recognition that Travis has a right and Hunter has a right to have a relationship with one another. Right. And and we uh, even get a really yeah. fascinating acknowledgement of a of an in, an interesting concept that's not meant I don't think to be a sort of political statement or anything like that, but like Hunter readily pretty readily comes to grips with the idea of having like two father figures that are both right. totally viable father figures. That like you don't have to have yeah. the the idea that there's like one canonical one and the other one is a mistake or like a a problem or something is not a thing that enters into Hunter's mind. Like, he explains to his friend, no, I, you know, like, his friend is confused. His friend is confused, but then Hunter is very fine with, like, you know what I mean? Like, Just like sometimes this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, like, and other, yeah, like. And the other kid accepts it, Yeah, and, it, right? and it's, a, that, that is a very fascinating phenomenon in the movie because it, it shows the sort of, like, the, the movie plays with the idea of the malleability of family and what family means on a, on a very like does not like it doesn't make a big deal out of it but it's very important function of the movie right is this idea of like family is a thing this sort of ever-changing right. entity that you are a part of and that that presentation of the malleability of family in the middle of reagan era america it's itself an anti-american oh, statement I mean, well too, exactly right well and, and that's the thing right is it it, it is you're right and it also it, it is and isn't right. It's it's the same time. It's that same thing, right? It's like is acknowledgement of what real life actually is and how much right. the Reagan era American thing is a facade. 
that's like painted right. on. It's the all front. the same facade. Yeah, it's all part of the same thing. Of like, well, I mean, this is you can pretend that's not what families are, but that's what like. And this again, I think it's just right. it's more it's less of a political commentary, more of a of Wim Wenders again being very very good at understanding what the thing actually is, rather than like what the facade right. is, right? Like, and 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 kind of moving past like what's presented on the surface to understand the actual things that are like this yeah. is the family we chose to look at, but every family is to some greater or lesser extent this thing, right? And I. And I think that doubles for, you know, another thing about what I love about the peep show scene is from, uh, from Travis's perspective, you know, he's got a specific framing through the window that makes this look like an inviting and uh, true place. And also very, very American places, by the way. (laughs) Like extremely, like iconically American places. And and to me, that doubles in the shots from the car, because Houston is a city that only makes sense, and so much of America is a place that only makes sense from the view through a windshield. Right, yeah. Through absolutely. a car window. Right, well, and as soon right. as we Not, see them exit the car, it gets deeply alienating and confusing, right? Like, like we don't right. even fully understand the geography of where Hunter is. When he, right. Because you're like, right. where could... What? What is this place? Like, this place doesn't make sense. Like, he's sitting on just a giant-ass, like, poured concrete step that, like, they're using to hold up the bank sign, I guess, right? But, like, it's just, like, it's a non-place. And any place that you don't, you aren't existing in your car is a non-place. And the bank is also surrounded by places that aren't meant to be places to stop. It's all runway streets yeah, all absolutely. the way, the whole block around the blank, right? So uh, He's got to drive around the entire block to get back to Hunter. Right. And and even, yes, and even Travis is in a, he's in his car, so he's following the rules, but he's still yeah. kind of doing it wrong, right? Like, he's, he's right. Americaning wrong because he's just parked in a place in his car. His car's yeah, not yeah. doing most- what cars do, right? The most unrealistic aspect of this entire movie is the police never show up and tell Travis to move. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and we don't really have yeah. a firm grasp. Like, well, that's the thing. That's part of, like, playing with the geography, right? And, like, not being rewarded with an... Because they're all sort of existing in limbo, we don't... We can't really readily and easily identify where the fuck Travis is. Like, I don't right. know where his right. car is parked. Like... It's just across the parking lot somewhere, but yeah, but the whole thing is parking lot. So right, well, and that and that's you know. like and that's the thing, right? Like everything's either a parking lot or a road, right? And that's all you deal with. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's that that that. I would have to say that that's probably my sort of second f- favorite part of it with regards to like it's saying something about sort of the about what America is, is just that, that, that bank scene where you're just like, what the fuck is this place? Like, why would anybody be here (laughs) at all? There's a, there's a lot of deleted scenes uh, in the criterion release of this as well. I not watch any of them. Um, And most, most of them don't add a lot to what's happening. Yeah. They're deleted for a reason. Right. Um, there was more flyover of the wilderness before we first get our first shot okay. of uh, of Travis at the beginning. 
um, which is interesting, but it's, you know, another minute and a half of movie and, and cooter music, uh, which is nice, uh, but not necessarily something we need. Um, but one interesting thing that I'm kind of surprised at that they cut, the the doctor who's taking care of Travis in the small town when he collapses, uh, that whole conversation that they have in the film, there's a deleted scene where that conversation takes place in the back of an ambulance. Okay. Uh, and putting it putting it in a motor vehicle, I think, is just one more ratchet up of what I feel this movie is saying right. about America's relationship with the automobile. Um, uh, that I'm I'm kind of surprised. I don't uh, watching it. It doesn't really work, and it's you know they're they're actually obviously driving. Like, like I, I really think they were just driving down the road when they filmed it. Not, they're not like back, uh, back rear projecting. Um, so like, there's reasons it w- didn't really work. Um, and they obviously got the coverage because he's asking, like, the the question of which side of the border he's on comes up in that as well. And like, I don't know if they decided this didn't work, so they shot the other one the other way, or if they shot both. Um. But yeah, uh, that's maybe an interesting question. What do you think, that question about, do you even know which side of the border you're on? Uh, the essay, um, the Criterion essay talks about Mexico and the desert both being places in American pop culture where you disappear. Okay, yeah. Um. So so he frames he frames the question of which side of the border you're on as just an allusion to that disappearance. Are you are you disappeared now or are you back? Um I can see that. I I definitely yeah. I'm I may I get what's going on there. I don't know if I would read that necessarily per se as a canonical reading. Like I, I definitely could see yeah. it as a reading that is viable. I like I would say that it's more I like the a, idea of it as an existential question. Though. I think it is good as an <laughs> existential question. I, I think it makes sense. It definitely can be in it. But I think it is also playing with the idea of like the kind of playing with the idea of places don't make sense. You know right, what I mean? Like right. I, I agree. It is it is an existential question. I think that part of I can definitely read that idea of like, okay, like do you know if you're part of man or not sort of almost as a as a read right but like especially to a person who is not talking to anybody at all um right but like also i think it's really easy also to like give it a sign it maybe a double meaning of understanding that like you can be so far away from everything that like that question also has no meaning like right. you know what i mean like does it ma- like it doesn't actually matter right like like in the sense that, like, what the desert's just the desert. Like, it doesn't matter which side of a border it's on is not relevant in any actual capacity, right? Absolutely. Yeah, those small border towns, it doesn't matter which side they're on. Right, and, like, well, certainly not um, when he's out in the desert. Like, it just doesn't fucking matter, right? Like, he's... Right. The desert, the desert doesn't care about our border. Exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, and I think that I think probably that's an also a pretty easy read of, of it is that like, 
where we see the rest of the movie deal with like human construction of place or sort of human construction of non-place. And then there's also sort of natural construction of non-place, which is just a giant ass desert that like, it doesn't like, what are you talking about? Which side of the border I'm on? Like, it's just a fucking desert. Like, what does that even mean? Um, So I think it's, I think to a certain extent, like, much of that opening opening is meant to help to emphasize the rest of the film, right? Like it's helped it help is meant to help you understand that this and this are functionally in many ways the same despite being completely different, right? Like Houston and the desert for a normal person are exactly the same thing. <laughs> they have no right. they are they are they are identical in all their capability of sustaining human life and being a place to be. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like particularly just someone on foot well, exactly like i mean a hundred sitting in a bank parking lot on a giant slab of concrete is no different than uh travis sitting literally out in the middle of the desert like they neither that neither of those are life-sustaining situations huh, travis is slightly better off because he has a jug of water like and like and i guess you know hunter's lifeline is that walkie-talkie right like it's very much a mirror of that. He's just sitting out there. Right. Right. At least, at least Hunter has someone to fall back on. Well, exactly. And by that, um, that's the thing, right? Is I think that's all part of sort of the message, right? Is that like Hunter has a tether to people and that's all that's actually sustaining him. Like if Hunter, if, if Travis weren't there, Hunter would, this place would destroy him. It's only yeah. that that familial connection that makes this a viable place to be, at all. Right, and that's and that's also true of the walk home from the school. Yeah, uh-huh. totally, right. absolutely. And 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 I yeah. think that is a running theme throughout the movie is the idea that that human connection is the only thing that makes any of these places viable. Right. Yeah, it's just as true of Walt and Travis's drive uh-huh. back yeah. to L.A. There too. and the, and. The, the house that they go to is not a is not really a place except for through through sheer will of the human connections that exist there like all the places like right. the peep show place is not a human place except for in yeah. the fact that it is occupied by people who who have connections to each other it, it's yeah they're all it, every place is like that in this movie because this is about a series of deserts <laughs> that people are in Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> and that's why I love it's, it. Uh, it's it is <laughs> fucking beautiful. It is an amazing movie. I really do love it. I have I have nothing negative to say about this movie. Yeah. So really at um, this point Wim Winders is hitting hundred percent. Like he's just he's firing on all c- cylinders for us and you know, we have a long time for that to be proven wrong. Yeah, uh, I I already said, you know, it's always nice to see Dean Stockwell, always nice to see Harry, Harry Dan Stanton pop up and things. Also always nice to see John Laurie randomly pop right. up as the, as the, uh, the, I guess, guy in charge, the manager of the peep show. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who yells at him for being in the, in the back area. <laughs> and, and is, and is maybe yeah. the scariest person in the movie. Why, well, I, I just say like, well, we don't deal with a lot of people in this movie. Like, 
He is the only person we see being antagonistic right. well, at all. With the exception the of maybe the no. guy who rescues um, Harry Dean Stanton in the desert is also a very, is a kind of scary figure. The doctor. Yeah, the doctor is a very scary figure. You're only saying that because he has a German accent. Yes. And is wearing a white suit. <laughs> I know that Germans with white suits in deserts or like scary, in like desolate places are dangerous. I've seen enough movies. Uh, but also That's just fair. the fact that That's like fair. he has a sort of air of, of, of I don't know, like, you can't accuse me of, of something, but, like, he has an air of scariness. I think that's on purpose. He's meant to be. Yeah. Like, I think in many ways he's meant to make you as an audience, like, just a little bit nervous at the beginning. Just a little yeah. bit, like, because what alleviates that from being scary anymore is the fact that, like, Walt shows up and, like, yeah, makes it not scary anymore. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the doctor, obviously, you know, he's he doesn't really care about whether or not Travis lives yes. or dies, right? And, I, and that's that is, scary. That's it's yeah, like and like his, and which is an you know another another aspect of the which side of the border are you on is asking him, are you alive or dead? Right, and do you care? Yeah. are you <laughs> if you're alive or dead? Uh. Which is not a question he is asking out of you should be alive and care that you're right, alive. Right. Uh, yeah, there's a certain yeah. sort of element of maybe the doctor, you get the feeling that the doctor is contemplating maybe I just have a body I have to drop off in the desert basically at this point. Like it's, it's yeah. not a yeah. good, the doctor is not meant to be a reassuring or good person. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's, he's, Maybe in the deleted scenes, he he maybe kind of feels more inviting in in that he being in the back of the ambulance, he is there. He, he's doing the job in an of emergency being a situation, yeah. right? He is doing, yeah, yeah, which is inherently a sort of comforting thing, mentally speaking, yeah, right. Whereas where where it's where it's just Travis on the cot as this guy hovers around him, asking him questions, it is much more overtly antagonistic which you know is also a good representation of the american healthcare system yeah. so uh <laughs> it's all germans who don't actually care about you. <laughs> yeah totally uh, accurate exactly what american healthcare is like it's all germans who don't care about you all the way down um yeah totally accurate no notes um i will tell you this i did find the article it's on google books yeah uh i've been slowly perusing through it this, We're talking about the the New York yes, review. Oh uh, boy, this is a okay. this is this is a person who did not understand the movie he watched. Oh no! In, in like really deeply upsetting ways. Like he's convinced himself Sorry. it's a mystery book or a mystery movie that we're supposed to be trying to like understand the mystery of like what happened to Aradine Stanton's character. Um, he comments briefly on the idea that somehow like. Herodine Stanton's like laugh lack of affect is in some way like not a very, very specific choice that was made to make the movie good, but rather like some like bad acting or something. Oh no. Um, oh no. Uh, it's 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 rough. This article, wow, wowzers. Wowzers. This person just did not did not read the text correctly. Yeah. Like yeah, that's, this is that's bizarre to me because even 
even if I knew nothing about Harry Dan Stan- Dean Stanton, I would think that he is inhabiting this character so well. He at one point implies in- that Harry Dean Stanton was chosen entirely for like his like aesthetic, his visual aesthetic. And not like I mean that that could be true, but he is still Yeah, I mean, but it's got that sort of implication of like, oh, like he's not good in this. They just chose him because he like looks like what they want for the dude wandering the desert or something. Kinda wonder if this person watched this movie. Yeah. It wasn't just described to him yeah, by someone who was watching it out the comments on like like Again, this it's guy's just, just a sitting lot of, in the bottom of Plato's cave. Yeah, there's a lot of comments on like how everybody feels like they're on like on some distant planet, and I was like, again, yes, correct. Yeah, that's that's the movie right, that you distant, watched. That distant planet is Houston. I don't understand. Uh, it turns it's out it's a very weird. It's a very very weird weird reading of this movie. It's like how does a how does a man who writes for a magazine called New York not understand the alienation of cities? I mean, uh, I don't. This is wow. This is just really very. I don't recommend you read it. Um, it's not. I'm not going to finish. I I don't have. Uh, I don't have the wherewithal. Yeah, I think this person also just doesn't like European film. That's also kind of my takeaway. He at one point seems to be knocking it because it has so many like European actors featured in the movie. Oh, do you think it's? Do you think he's antagonistic to it because it's a a European deigning to take a to take a look at American I, it's culture possible. in it's this way? Like he kind of complains that it's like more of an art piece than it is an actual movie, like more focused on. Well, yeah, but that's also not a problem. Right. But like, also, uh, it's very much a movie. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like it's like um. I realize I feel like I'm in like bizarre land. I'm just gonna stop and close this article. I yeah. don't want to read this anymore. This is like yeah. I just I feel like somebody got the cliff notes and then like wrote an article, right? I every so often Criterion does a thing for us, and I really think that this movie is a great follow up to Rossellini's War Trilogy. Okay. I just, you know, we spent the last three weeks looking at Rossellini and and his dedication to an idea of realism. Uh, and then we switched gears to a movie that is about the facades, but in such a real way. Right. It's a movie that is. A, yeah. We go, we get. A, yeah. We, you're right. Absolutely. Like you, we shift gears from a. A movie about like about that has somebody who's sort of obsessed with realism to a movie that is that is real, like feels, yeah, real, yeah. It's full of actors right. all and doing feels, actor stuff, right? But feels right. so deeply real and human that it's like no. almost upsetting. No non-actors, at least in any of our our spoken roles. Uh, yeah, and and it, yeah, it really goes to show know. you like. I really, I understand, and it really goes to highlight that, like, Rome Open City being what it was because of, like, very serious real-life material concerns and how that's, yeah. that can be a beautiful thing. But then also, I, will, I cannot be convinced, I think at this point at all, that the use of non-actors in any way benefits film in any capacity. <laughs> because you watch yeah. things like this and you're like, no, this is what actors do. 
They feel they are so good at acting that they feel real. Whereas right. normal people right. are so bad at acting that they feel not real, which is a problem, I guess. Unless that's your the goal you're going for. See previously mentioned directors who want their actors to feel as not real as humanly possible. Which cool, that's an artistic right. choice. Fine, whatever. Like um Yeah. I don't know. This is just yeah. yeah. Everybody's firing on all cylinders in this movie. We even have a child actor right. who feels like a real person, which is always a very hard task to manage. Well, it's it is. I mean, it's hard to get. It's like we we all when have he, evidence that children have a hard time. When he starts talking about the Big Bang, it's it's the most child child just, I've I've seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah, it's like boy, yeah, yeah we all know absolutely. that kid. Like, yep, a hundred percent. Um, he's just yeah. a normal kid, like a hundred percent a normal kid. And that's fun. That's fun yeah, to see a movie good. like to see that pulled off very very well, right? So. Talking about the Big yes, Bang, 100%. and then sort of like half-assing a discussion of whether or not, like, how far it would take to get the Austin, Texas, or to Houston, Texas, by lights at light speed. Exactly, like I right. guess about three seconds. Like, oh, the most kid answer you could possibly give. Yeah, just beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and then him playing um, he does a great job of like I, a thing I I appreciate is giving the child in the story a thing to be doing when the child is not being occupied by the t- like. The needs of adults. What do children do? Yes. Which is like play. Like they just start doing imagination stuff. So he every time he's not right. being occupied, he doesn't disappear from the scene. He's just being a kid, uh, which is very effective. Right. Like, and we even hear him doing it off camera sometimes, right? Like as a part of the sort of sound landscape of the movie is a child playing. Right. Right. You know, and we cut back to, you know, uh, Travis has left him in the car and told him to lock the door and not get out. But we cut back to him just, yeah, dancing around the parking lot. Like, yeah, whether or not it's through the the the, like, however it came to pass, like a very acute understanding of what children actually are. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's you know another aspect of this movie is that, particularly with Travis, I think, uh, is viewing other people breaking down the facade of what you built up as other people mm-hmm. what particularly what he wants jane to be and what he feared jane was you know it's recognizing that neither of those were real uh and that he's still at a point where he can't see the real her right uh he's gotten very close now but it, in order to get very close he had to talk to, to her phone in a way a where there's literally yeah. literally glass between them uh a, a separation, uh, a a a mirror darkly between yeah. them as well. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. No, just so much of this movie is just so. Yeah, good. no. It's it, <laughs> it is a it is a it is a beautiful work. It is incredibly yeah. done, and like it goes very very high up on my like mental list of like movies I will not forget. Like. Right. Um, right. And right. as right. I said, right. Wim Wenders is hitting, is, is batting 100% so far. I don't know if that continues. I don't know if that goes continues forward or back. Well, hopefully it will. But like, holy shit, both movies I've seen from this person are very, very, they stick with you so, like very hard. Right, right. Like, I don't think I will, uh, some of those scenes 
in this movie I don't think I will ever forget. Like they're just burned into my memory. Well, I think we could probably pull this one to a close now. When you talk about Paris, Texas, directed by Wim Wenders in 1984, next week uh, we'll talk about a 2008 Austrian thriller uh, written and directed by Gott Spielmann, Revanche. Uh, I'll look forward to that. Don't know really anything about it. Um, but, uh, no, it's it's interesting. We, we've been on a run in the last few weeks that obviously these are movies Criterion is releasing in 2008, 2009. And we just had a lot of 2008 movies in the last, like, 10 or 12 weeks. Right. Yeah. So we had uh we had Gamora just really recently and uh and the curious case of Benjamin Button was also a 2008 movie uh and Che came out in 2008 um yeah we're just we're at a we're at a spot in the Criterion collection where they're doing new releases right yeah uh, and that, and that is a, a a new place for us like it, right. it's right. a little strange but I kind of like it too it's kind of neat to be in a place where we can actually see like what they contemporarily thought was like a thing that came out that we should put in our collection, right? Like, right. That we should that right. we should play a part in releasing, rather than like, hey, what's a classic that we should get to 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 fill out our collection? Hey, what's a film that like here's a film that just came out and it needs an American like a, an English release? Maybe we should be a part of yeah. that. <laughs> like, it's a very different place to be, right? Right, right. So, yeah. It's fascinating to see what what they choose in that matter. So look forward to see Revanche and uh, and actually another 2008 movie. Two weeks after that, we'll watch Steve McQueen's Hunger. Oh, so, okay. uh, yeah. So that's cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.